Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I'm Clayton Caldwell, we'll Philip Matthew, and Spencer Cowan here as we bring you a great episode of Talking in Circles. We're reviewing Bristol Motor Speedway today, and they're running in the Food City 500. That is the uh, race we're talking about today here on Talking in Circles. Food City 500 Sunday at Bristol. It was Kyle Busch's 54th career victory and the third of the season for him in the Cup Series. He held off his brother, Kurt Busch, to win the event. Uh, it was a, an up-and-down day for a lot of drivers. We saw some carnage today in the Food City 500, something we haven't seen really all year in any race this year. That uh, It was a race that started out very interesting uh, between the fact that uh, Kevin Harvick's, who, who was going to be a contender for the, uh, for the race, his car failed post-race inspection three times. He had to start at the rear of the field and do a pass-through penalty along with a couple of engineers getting escorted out of the racetrack. Um, so he lost... He was four laps down when the first caution came out on lap three. Uh, never really got on back onto the lead lap until about 20 laps to go, uh, and he ended up finishing the 13th position, but had a really fast car to make up four laps here with all the cautions here at Bristol Motor Speedway. So uh, it was it was an interesting day, uh, and it's, it started with an, with an early crash with Eric Amarola and and uh, also Ricky Sonhouse Jr. got a big piece of that, and as well as Ryan Priest. But, you know, who else? Somebody else who got a piece of that was Kyle Busch, who had some significant rear-end damage to his number 18 Toyota. But at the end of the day, Kyle Busch was standing in victory lane. He held off his brother, Kurt Busch, for victory. The Busch led 71 laps um, and was really good at the end of the event. Like I said, you know, he had some damage early. He admitted throughout the race and throughout the weekend that they really weren't where they needed to be all weekend. But he was able to uh, stay out, got to track position, and hold off his brother for the victory. Um, your thoughts, Philip Matthew, on the Food City 500 on Sunday? It was an interesting event, um, a race that really we saw Team Penske sort of dominate. You know, you saw a lot from Ryan Blaney. You saw a lot from uh, uh, Joey Logano today, and, and Brad Kozlowski had a decent day as well. But that last caution that came out there with about uh, 20 to go really threw a wrench into things, and Team Penske, all three cars on their team pitted, and they just lost a lot of track position. A lot of track position, a lot of cars stayed out and ended up with them, uh, you know, finishing in the, in the top ten, but still not really where they needed to be to win this race. So what were your thoughts on, on Kyle Busch sealing the deal here and winning uh, the Food City 500? Yeah, when he wrecked a, or got into that wreck on lap one and then he got nailed in the back bumper, I'm like, well, you know, great, you know, and but then I'm like, you know, he's going to win this. So I had this bad feeling that he was going to come back and win. Uh, of course, things had to go his way in a sense to have that happen. I mean, that late caution was um, dubious in, in the fact that they didn't call similar incidents earlier in the day, but then they called it there, the 20 laps to go, which assisted. I mean, granted... Uh, the Penske guys, in terms of like Brad Keselowski, he could have stayed out because basically t- taking two tires is basically like staying out, and he would have had the advantage on that final restart instead of getting into what he got into. Uh, I mean, the fact is there's a reason why Kyle Busch has eight wins there. He's really good there. He has rec race cars he wins there. Um, it's it's convenient that in Darrell Waltrip's last race that he announces at Bristol that his uh, 
favorite driver in the world and and who everyone who they media want us to assume is the greatest driver ever uh goes and wins uh i mean i give credit to kurt bush they were nowhere all most of the weekend and you come from 27th and finish second i mean granted kurt bush has been great at bristol for a lot of his career six wins most recent win there in the in the in the night race to go and come from 27th and finish second and have a chance to go and wreck his own brother like he wanted to do was something. And it's pretty interesting. And that's something I think we should talk about more in detail of what Kurt has really done with that organization. Uh, it's a lot of what ifs for Penske that they finished third and fourth. And then, and what is it, you know, Kez, Keslowski finished a lap down in 18th. I mean, it it was a big waste uh, of a day, really, because Logano had the best car, probably. Blaney earlier in the day had the best car, and then it became Logano, and in the end, nothing to show for it. But, I mean, yeah. credit to Kyle Busch. What are you going to do? I mean, he does this all the – I mean, it, it it's better than, you know, having the absolute best of it and winning like he does most of the time. He actually had to go and – come back and do something and he did it. So good for him. Win number 54. And I mean, it's uh, why the media wants everyone to love him so much because he can go and pull these things out of his butt. And it's why Daryl Waltrip loves him so much. And he has an obsession with them. Yeah. It was an, it was a race that you talked about. Team Penske did 355 laps today uh, between the, their three drivers that doesn't include Paul Menard, if you want to throw him in there. He didn't lead any laps today, but he ended up in the sixth position. Uh, track position certainly helped Menard at the end uh, with his uh, with, with the pit stop, and he, he stayed out there and got some track position. The restarted third, ended up sixth. But he was a probably a 15th to 20th place car all day, Re- really where that team's been all year. But, you know, the track position played into his hands, and he finished sixth, so a good job there by that team. Uh, used that to their advantage. Uh, the top five quick we'll give you is Kurt Bush. It was Kyle Busch was your winner. Kurt Busch was second. Then it was Joey Logano, Ryan Blaney, and Denny Hamlin, the top five. Uh, but another driver who probably should have finished in the top five today had a really good car, and that was Brad Kozlowski. Spencer, I want to get your opinion on, on that last restart there with Kozlowski. Uh, was restarting three wide, and it's something interesting because, you know, we seen three wide restarts earlier this year, and it wasn't called. Chase Elliott uh, was, had a three wide restart in the Daytona 500, they decided not to call that. This one they call Kozlowski on. He has to take a, a pass-through penalty under green, loses a lap, and finishes in the 18th spot. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on that whole thing with Kozlowski, who you know, basically said at the end of the race with Bob Pockris on a, on a walking down pit road, they should just take the rule book and rip half the rules out because there's too many rules to figure out with, with wave rounds and all that kind of stuff. It seemed like maybe the two-car, and I'm not trying to put words into Brad Kozlowski's mouth, but the, what it looked like to me, was what he was saying was maybe they were a little confused on how the lineup goes uh, with cars that pitted and whatnot. So um, what were your thoughts on that whole three-wide restart? Do you think NASCAR got it right? And do you think this is different than what we saw with Chase Elliott in the Daytona 500? Here's, let, me, let me just say this real quick. I don't care if there's two rules or there's 102 rules. The fact of the matter is NASCAR should be consistent and call it the right way each time and not this way one race and this way the next race. I don't know. That's just the way I think, and I'm pretty sure you two think the same way. Why would it be fair for Chase Elliott not to get called in the Daytona 500, and then you come to Bristol and a guy gets called on it just because it's just because one's a Daytona 500 and one's a Food City 500? 
that doesn't mean anything. They should be called the same exact way each time. And, uh, you know, it's if it continues to happen, I think drivers are going to really start opening their mouths and they wouldn't care if they get fined or not by what they say because they're going to get tired of it. So, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. That's just the way I feel about it. Um, whether he was in yeah. the right or wrong, um, you know, it needs to be called correctly. So, I, you know, you can't blame the driver. He doesn't know where exactly he needs to be. The communication between teams, NASCAR, the scoring system, whatever it is, needs to be more clear so these drivers get in the right spot. So uh, they just I need agree. to and be more consistent re- on that. I totally agree, Spencer. And you hit a, a nail on the head. I don't think it's Kozlowski's fault at all. It's more of the team and, like you said, with NASCAR, their communication with NASCAR. And to me, I don't know if that race should – and maybe fill up – um, you, I'll give you your opinion on this. Do you think that race should have restarted with with a three wide restart? I mean, here's where I have a problem with it. And this is what Brad even alluded to on pit road. Is he said, "Hey, you know what? I kind of screwed my teammate there because he had really he had fresh with Logano. He had fresh tires and probably the fastest race car. And because I was three wide and he didn't get the run he needed off the corner, I kind of, you know, got I kind of screwed him a little bit. So, you know, when you look at it from that standpoint, you say, well. Did he really do what he needed to, you know, should that race even have restarted to have a sort of a fair race? Um, and, and, you know, again, you talk about it all the time, Philip, I'm still in your line, selective enforcement and consistently consistent or, or something to that nature. And, yeah, consistently. Uh, consistently and, con- and consistent. And, you know, Spencer talked about it with the Daytona 500 with, with – Chase Elliott, I, I I need NASCAR to come out and just say to me, here's the difference between what we saw with Chase Elliott in the Daytona 500, and here's the difference with what we saw with Brad Keselowski in the Daytona 500. Because to me, and I know I was in a stance for the Daytona 500, but to me, it looked pretty much the same seeing a three-wide restart uh, here at Bristol and here at Daytona. And, you know, I'm not for three-wide restarts. I came out, and you guys heard me when I talked about the Daytona 500, I felt Chase Elliott should have been penalized there. There was no excuse for it not to do it. And I knew that they weren't going to do it because he's one of the most popular drivers in the sport. And it would have taken any chance he had to win the Daytona 500 away from him. Um, to me, Philip, you know, I guess what I'm asking you is, do you think that race should have restarted at all with, with NASCAR knowing that they were three wide there in the back? No. And, uh, I mean, this is a this is something that has been – it goes with my selective enforcement and consistently inconsistent hashtags and things I say about the series and the sanctioning body. Um, I find it convenient that Kevin Harvick came out against SOD um, and his stupidity, and then all of a sudden Kevin Harvick's car fails four times at Bristol. Um, that's convenient. Uh, then... You know, Brad is one of the more outspoken drivers, and he had a good race car. And supposedly, from what every other people reported, he was supposedly told five times he had to pull behind the six or some whichever car. And from other things I read that, oh, he wanted the high line, so he wanted to be up there, so he wasn't willing to move. I think the problem with these restarts, and they don't, it's like NASCAR has digital scoring, and you have people who, who manually score these race cars. It shouldn't take 10, 15 laps to score race, to make, to make these adjustments. It's simple. There's X amount of cars on lead lap. Those cars should be there up front, no matter what the deal is, whether there's been wave arounds, whether there's been cars who didn't, if they didn't pit, then they should be in front. 
the people who pit go right after that, then it's not that freaking hard. But NASCAR figures out a way to make something that isn't that hard into a complex issue. Uh, yeah. From what Brad said, he went to the to the trailer. They explained it to him. After they explained it to him, he's like, okay, fine. And so it stinks. It's really bad because they should have gotten a top five or a top ten finish out of that deal. But you know, he was okay with the with the explanation. Uh, personally, the way that NASCAR scores races and they have this issue more often than they need to. It's, this is not the first time this has happened this year, and this isn't the first time it's happened in the Cup Series, obviously. Second time this year in, what, eight races. This has happened in the Truck Series earlier in the year, I believe, at least once. They had that three-wide restart thing. I think it's happened at least once in the Xfinity. So the reality is yeah. it's a real problem for them to functionally score races and line people up. So if they can't score races or line people up, they're not going back to single file. I get it. But there's a simple solution. Need lap cars, then whatever, then your lap down cars, then whatever. And then and in the actual order, you go back to the last scored lap under green. Like, you have to do it the way they do it in, on the dirt tracks and yeah, whatever, then... where they do it by the last green flag lap. So then then they can go and recycle it that way and then go based on pit road and do whatever. And it should take a few, only a hand, like no more than a handful of laps. If they can't do it that way, then they should just go and hire new people. Because they have a bunch of imbeciles that work in Daytona. So it's it's not shocking that they that this kind of stuff happens. Here's my thing, though, and I and I think Kozlowski, well, you know, if, if he, I, I think he should have been penalized if he was wrong, you know, and I've seen Kozlowski do this before. Let me say this, you know, I think it was 2013 back at Talladega when David Reagan won. Kozlowski was was uh, going crazy about Reagan lining up in the wrong in the wrong restart line after the race, saying he should have been lower, I should have been higher. NASCAR said that Reagan actually ended up in the right uh, situation, but you know. I, my biggest problem with it is the fact that um, they didn't penalize Chase Elliott in the Daytona 500. And that's where, again, I have to look at it and say, what what are we doing here? Is this – just explain to me the difference, and I'll, I'll be okay with it. So I think that's where yeah. I look at it and say, to me, it's just, it's just a little bit off to where, um, you know, like you say, selective enforcement. You have to kind of put that into consideration. Unfortunately, you do. Because it, to me, it looks it looks pretty much like the same. And, and if you want to penalize guys, wind up, you know, I think it's ridiculous when people try and do, you know, they want the high lane, so they sit there and go, oh, you know, I, I'm here. I think it's ridiculous, but you have to do it for everybody, and you, and you have to do it for every race, uh, and be and be consistent with it. So um, we'll see if they do that from from now on. And I would like to see them if they never do this, but I'd like to see them come out if they now that they penalized uh, Kozlowski. I'd like to see them come out and say, listen, we missed Chase Elliott. In the Daytona 500, you should have been penalized. We were wrong, etc. I would be okay with that. Um, 917-889-8280, breaking down the Food City 500 from Bristol Motor Speedway today. Gave you the top five. Here's the the, the rest of the top ten. Paul Menard is best run of the year at sixth. Then it was Clint Boyer in seventh. Daniel Suarez is having a nice uh, last couple of races here at Stewart Haas Racing. He finished eighth. Ryan Newman ninth and Jimmy Johnson tenth. Newman had a top five car. Got to a little bit of a scuffle there with Ryan Blaney. Uh, it kind of got on a lot of people's nerves. I read some stuff on Twitter about Newman maybe being hard to pass and et cetera. But, listen, I think Ryan Newman drives that car really hard. I thought he had a really good run today. 
Um, and he's he's 15th right now in points, so he's got that car uh, much better in points than where it was a year ago. Um, Spencer, is there anybody that, that sits there from 6th to 10th to you that, that really stands out? I mean, like I said, Menard had a pretty good run today. Uh, is there anybody else that stands out to you, 6th uh, to 10th? And we would have to say Jimmy Johnson, right? You know, how bad they have been to start off the year. And, you know, it seems like the past couple of weeks they're finally getting uh, – they're living up to the Hendrick Motorsports name, if you ask me. Um, you know, they've been having some speed here lately. You know, two of their guys sitting on the front row um, with Chase on the pole, and then you have him back it up with the top ten. And so I think their speed is definitely coming around for that team. And, you know, it should be. This is where they should be running each and every week. And um, – you know, it's surprise. It shocks us or people that we say it's surprising that he's in the top ten. But look how they've run. They have not run uh, up to par. So um, I think they're just turning things around. And uh, you know, he's definitely one you can look at as being kind of shocking. But you know, he he's so good at this place too. So, but uh, with their speed, um, it's a pretty good day for Hendrick Motorsports. And Daniel Suarez, as you yeah, mentioned, not- another good run by him. Yeah, Suarez has really turned it around here, you know, and we were kind of hard on him a little earlier in the year where we said, you know, he needs to kind of pick it up and run a little bit better here. And and let's face it, he has. You know, currently sits 12th in the points. That's way better than than where he was any time at JGR. So the B12, uh, 12th in the standings, and he's got four top 10s on the year now, and he's really rattled them off here. Um, I some tough racetracks. You know, Martinsville was the 10th place run. Bad day for him there. Third at, at Texas last weekend, and now an eighth here at Bristol. You know, maybe this – team can get some momentum going for him where they got off to a little bit of a rocky start in a 23rd at Phoenix, 13th at Fontana, 17th at Vegas. It wasn't a great start to the year for him, but the last three have been pretty good for that 41 car. So um, we'll see if he can keep that going on the rest of the year, but a nice little last three or four races here for uh, Daniel Suarez for sure here at, uh, in the Cup Series, and it's gotten him uh, a, a lot of points. you know. And like I said, he sits 12th in points, and that's a pretty healthy um, playoff spot right now through eight races into the season. Uh, 11th through 20th, there's a lot we could dissect here, guys. Uh, 11th position was Chase Elliott sat on the pole. You know, had, And I'll get Phillips' take on this a little bit. I'm not sure about taking tires there at the end of that race. You know, um, I felt like, you know, you probably should have stayed out if you're in the lead. Now, obviously, you say, well, if they're in the lead, the Penske guys and, and all the guys in front, if they're in the lead – you know, then then all the the cars behind them probably fifth on back pit, and then they get eaten up on their tires. But uh, I'm going to take my chances with with clean air and everything here at Bristol on that last restart. You weren't going to really run into lap traffic there with 20 to go. I felt that the drivers who pitted, you know, and and, the, and Team Penske guys are included in this, and the next guy I'm going to talk about is included in this as well. Uh, Matt Benedetto, who was in the top 10 when he pitted, he finished in the 12th spot. Chase Elliott was in that too. I felt like they. Um, were in a little bit of a, to me, they sh- they were kind of made a mistake there, pitting for tires. Uh, 13th was Kevin Harvick. He was got on the lead lap. If you're not sure what, what happened with Harvick, he had to do a pass-through penalty under green after starting in the rear of the field at Bristol for failing inspection multiple times. Uh, interesting spot there. He was four laps down when the first caution came out on lap three, was able to work his way back, get on the lead lap, Finishing a 13th spot. That was Austin Dillon, 14th. Ty Dillon, 15th. Ty Dillon also won a stage in this race, so he got a lot of points. A nice thing for him. Then it was William Byron, Martin Tricks, Jr., Brad Kozlowski, Kyle Larson, and Bubba Wallace. Larson hit the wall a couple of times, blown right, blown tires. 
Bubba Wallace had a decent day today. Um, but I think that the driver that stands out the most to me in the top 20 there, and really in the top 15, was Matt Benedetto and Levine Family Racing Toyota, number 95. Um, here's a guy who, you know, a couple of years ago at Bristol in this race, really made a name for himself with BK Racing, finishing in the top 10, goes out there today, runs in the top 10, runs in the top 15 all day. I don't think that car was even a lap down all, all day, Philip Matthew. We know the kind of talent Di Benedetto has. It was nice to see him put together a solid finish. A little bit worse than where he ended up. A little bit worse than where he ran all day. But I think for the most part, him and well, I'll talk about the next guy in a little bit. But I think he had a very, very good day and really opened some eyes for sure. Well, yeah, I think that this team and Di Benedetto had the race, this race on their calendar circled. Uh, you know, in terms of being able to compete and have a chance, and he did really well today. I mean. When you consider all the Gibbs cars had at some point during the day were up front, different things happened to each one of them. Uh, the fact that Di Benedetto ended up getting a 12th place run out of it is, yeah, he didn't finish probably where he should have because of, you know, tires. And the one thing you brought up was clean air, which is because of this new downforce package that they have, it made running at Bristol and having clean air a bigger deal. Uh, which is a subplot or a sub-story that we probably need to take more into account, uh, which is part of the reason that and the fact that Kyle Busch got a freaking John Force restart and uh, went and got away as to why we got the result that we got today and the hijinks. I mean, for Di Benedetto, that team's going to be on and off a lot of the year. They're, they're a team that basically is 25th place, on average or thereabouts 20 to 25th place. They've been that way for most of their existence. Uh, Michael McDowell had some better runs the last year he was there, and then Casey Kane was there, and they were pretty terrible last year. So, I mean, they'll have their moments. Today was one of those moments. I think other short track races or smaller track races will be where the 95 kind of stands out in the restrictor plates but the majority of the schedule, they're going to have to work and build up their books to where they'll be consistent on a weekly basis. But it's a good run for them. You can't really say anything. I mean, it's good for them. They needed a run like that. They've had some rough runs in recent weeks. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, again, you know, I think he uh, ended up worse than what he run all day. I thought he, he had a really good – you know, it's about opening their eyes and really getting your sponsorship out there. And another guy who I thought ran really good and ended up in the 22nd position, but he was a top 10 car, top 5 car for most of the afternoon. That was Chris Busher. Uh, Busher and the Bushes baked beans to Chevrolet for JT Daugherty Racing. Did a great job today. Um, and unfortunately, I think they had a loose wheel and had to pit on the green. He lost a couple of laps, yeah. but... Man, it, it looked like that 37, that times in that race you're looking at going, they're running in the top five, and they were running in the top five because not because of track position or because of, of pit sequence. They were running in the top five because they belonged in the top five, and that was really impressive to watch what Chris Busher's done. And Busher's had a lot of speed in that 37 the last two years, um, and they just can't seem to close the races for whatever reason. Again, another disappointing finish for him in 22nd, but I thought he did a heck of a job today. I think he was even more impressive and that 95 team, indeed, Benedetto, not to take, try and take anything away from them, but, you know, Busher got some stage points at times. I thought it was a great run for them. 
as well. Uh, Spencer, a couple of drivers that stand out to me, you know, Ty Dillon, uh, I thought he had a pretty good day today, finishing, running, getting that stage and getting a lot of points there. You know, 15th for this team, you look at it and say, well, that's not a great run for a lot of teams. But for this team, compared to where they were a year yes, ago, it is. Uh, that, it, it's, like, it's like night and day compared to where they were a year ago. They couldn't get out of their own way last year. They, were multiple, they would have been multiple laps down a year ago. It finally seems like, and again, another guy who was hard on was Matt Borland. It finally seems like Matt Borland and the Ty Dillon combination over there at Jermaine Racing, not that they're a team that can win races just yet, but they're finally getting out of their own way and putting together some decent runs here in the last couple of weeks to get them sort of off the snide and, and back into feeling good and being a little bit more competitive. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, you mentioned in a previous video you forgot they were even in a race last year, and that's true. You know, if they uh, his last name wasn't Dylan, I wouldn't even know he was on the racetrack. Um, but yeah, it's a good uh, good finish uh, by them guys, and maybe it give them some momentum. And I feel like uh, each week they're getting a little bit better, and uh, you know this this should really give them a momentum, especially with the stage win. You know, that was a good call to do what they did. You know, and that will help them. You know and the points battling with the guys that are around them wherever they are in position for sure. So, um, yeah, I don't think they're ready for wins just yet. Um, they still have a lot of work to do, but uh, this is a definitely a step in the right direction for sure. Yeah, last two years they finished 26th and 27th in the standings, and right now they're 22nd in the standings, and they've rolled off five finishes in the last – they've rolled off three top 15 finishes in the last five races. So they've done a pretty good job here uh, of of late on that Jermaine Racing number 13 car. So, uh, you know, we'll see if they can do that Richmond because it's a short track and that's where they seem to be a little bit more competitive than that. And another driver I want to talk about here in a little bit, and a driver who I think a lot of people expect to go out there today at Bristol Motor Speedway and be real competitive and for whatever reason was not, uh, was Kyle Larson. You know, a very another frustrating day for that 42 team. Uh, especially, again, where you look at your teammate and you finish it in, in the second position with Kurt Busch there, Philip Matthew, it looks like, you know, a lot of people always said when McMurray drove this one car, well, that 42 car, he always outdoes it. That 42 car, you know, McMurray, you know, uh, he underperforms in that car. Well, right now it looks like, for whatever reason, Kurt Busch is the number one driver there at Jermaine Race, or at um, uh, Chip Ganassi Racing with Felix Sabatis, and it looks like Kyle Larson's having some trouble here. I know it's only eight races into the year, but this is a guy who a lot of people think has a top five, if if not top three talent in this sport, and he hasn't rolled off a top ten finish yet. And, again, a, a day where I know he had some tire issues and hit the, banged the outside wall, but he wasn't running good prior to that. You are a, a, drive, a, a fan who was a fan of Tony Stewart when Chad Johnson was there, and, uh, and Chad Johnson got, was, was a, a, a guy who got a lot of criticism when he was a crew chief for that 14 car. He won some races with Kyle Larson. I guess what my question to you is, how long can, can Larson keep competing like this before everybody kind of scratches their head and goes, well, we know the driver's really good and we know the cars are really good because Kurt Busch is proving that, do we need to make a crew chief change? I mean, the fact is they let the best crew chief in the organization. I was saying this to on on Twitter earlier that you know with, with Kyle Larson, it's it's people want to say uh, I've seen it and I've been a fan in a, in this and 
respected his talent because I saw him from a very young running midgets and sprint cars and stuff like that. The guy can drive a race car, and that's no doubt. And he's won cup races and won them at multiple tracks. Chad Johnston, I've never really been a fan of or ever really thought he was that great. He didn't really do that much when he was with the MWR, the 56 car. He was not that great when he was with Tony Stewart. Tony Stewart goes and says it really wasn't Chad's fault. He had basically fallen off at that point. And then once he got hurt, it didn't really matter. Uh, he goes to Kyle Larson. You know, they weren't great that first year. Then they start, they got to some winning here, 16, 17. The last couple of years, have not, this last year and then going into this year, have not been great. They let Mike Shiplett walk out the door for nothing. And the fact is every time that Mike Shiplett, there was a car that Kyle Larson drove with Mike Shiplett as a crew chief, they seemed to win every time. Granted, it was the Xfinity Series. When you consider that he's probably the best person for your driver, then you probably should have kept them in-house and said, hey, Chad, you're probably better building cars or doing this, doing that, and kind of reassigned them. And I think that would have fixed one of the problems. The fact that he has one of the worst pit crews in the whole entire sport, they haven't fixed that. That's a major issue and I think brought on some of the issues that existed today. But that's been an issue for a couple of years, you know. So that the, the reality is it's Chip Ganassi. Chip Ganassi has NASCAR teams and IndyCar teams. Where was he today? He was at Barber. Why? Because IndyCar is his bread and butter. At the end of the day, and it's the same for Penske, but there's a difference between Chip Ganassi and Roger Penske. Roger Penske knows he can employ people that can make sure that his, his NASCAR teams run just fine. You don't have to be there. It's the same way with V8 Supercars. But Chip Ganassi, he's an IndyCar and sports car guy first, and NASCAR's third. He's basically sandbagging Kyle Larson, and fundamentally it's a problem because you're wasting his talent. And Kyle Larson has been loyal to him and hasn't gotten the payback that he deserves, gotten the return that he really deserves. Because he doesn't have a great crew chief. I don't believe Chad Johnson's that great of a crew chief. He hasn't really done a whole lot to justify the kind of props propping up that he gets. He's kind of like Steve Letarte to me. You know, he's kind of big, you know, a, a lot of talk, but not a lot of results. Uh, his pit crew is terrible, and they could have fixed this during the offseason. They could use the Xfinity team that they lost because of freaking DC Solar. They'd have probably been better than the team he has right now. And maybe they'd run better. Because the fact is, Kurt Busch is in that one car, and that's the best that one car has looked in basically ever. Um, going all the way back, going all the way back, even to Steve Park days. Like, this, this is the most competitive, you know, the one car has been since probably, you know, Steve Park at before one of his before one of his unfortunate injuries. So it's like you have to you have to say that there's multiple issues there and uh, it's bigger than just the driver. And yeah, yeah. if you I and, mean to keep it simple, Chad Johnson shouldn't really be there, but they screwed the pooch on that. Yeah, and you know I misspoke before. I want to say I, I, I said that Larson didn't have a top 10 this year, and I'm wrong. He finished seventh in the Daytona 500 and sixth in Phoenix. Um, but, it, you know, we other than Atlanta, we haven't really seen him compete for wins, you know. And I know Martinsville's not really his best racetrack, but, you know, there's still seven other races this year, six other races this year where we never really saw it. We haven't seen this 42 team improve. And I know it's very early in the season. We still have 
goodness, 18 races until the regular season ends. But Larson sits 14th in the points right now, Spencer. You listen to this team on a regular basis. Uh, do you think there is a, a little bit of a communication? Uh, I don't know, a communication, you know, failure there between the the 42 car between Chad Johnson and maybe uh, Kyle Larson, or is it just bad luck? You know, they could. It's a, such a small sample size here with, with eight races, but but they but didn't run very good last year, and we kind of put the blame on the Chevrolet Camaro. Uh, but I just feel like everybody sort of saw this 42 team. Okay, the Camaro's back, you know, and the fact that that Bush is running so good this year, it really uh, makes you sit there and, and, and scratch your head a little bit and go, um, what, what's going on with Larson? No, I know it, it. You know, I'm a fan of Kyle Larson ever since uh, Dale was retired, and I followed Larson for a while, even while Dale was in, but that's not the point. Anyways, um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I don't think it's the crew chief. You know, um, Chad Johnson knows how to put the 42 car in victory lane. I mean, look at the year they had in 2017. They had a phenomenal year. They were a threat to win the championship. And like you said, going into 2018, everybody kind of put the blame on the Chevy. And I don't know. Like you said, Atlanta, he ran phenomenal. And, like, all the Larson fans were hyped up. He's going to have a good year. He led 142 laps, whatever it was, somewhere around there. And then he just has not been able to really finish off. And um, he's having bad luck, you know, with hitting the wall or whatever. It may be a couple penalties on pit road. Um, I don't know, but I can tell you one thing. If he keeps running like this, he's going to find himself outside the top 16 uh, real quick. It doesn't take long to fall out if you have, a, you know, a little bad streak of three or four races, you know, and uh, those guys that are right around you are having better runs than you. You're going to be outside the top 16. You're going to be the outside looking in. And that's not definitely not what he wants. And, you know, he's probably thinking, well, my teammates running up front, you know, had the shot to win at Bristol, you know, starting off the year, he's in the top 10 every race, and he's up there leading the rap, uh, laps, getting everybody to run for their money. And then he's back there pulling around with the 12th place position, 13th or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. So um, they need to figure it out quick, I can tell you that much, because this season I'm shocked. What are we, what week are we in? Week 8. Six or something? Week 9 next week. week okay, week 8. We're in week 9 coming up and it's going by quick, and uh, those mm -hmm. 26 races are going to fly by, so they need to figure it out quick. Yeah, and when you, it's funny because I took a look at this before, and, and it, I don't know if you guys noticed this with the point standings right now in the Cup Series. The difference between Ryan Newman, who is 15th in the standings right now, and Paul Menard, who is 19th in the standings, is five points. Five points separates Ryan Newman, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Eric Jones, Austin Dillon, and Paul Menard. That's and then you only you got nine points to William Byron. So it's very very tight right now. The difference between being to the good and being on the outside looking in. Now there's still a long way to go, but it just shows you how competitive it is through, through those 15th to 20th place finishes right now or positions right now. And Larson has a little bit of a cushion between him and Newman, and I think he'll be all right here. But um, this, you're not going to win a championship by just being all right. You got to be great. And uh, I guess my question was, you guys, and, and we got both an opinion on both sides. Is will we see Larson perform the way we expect him to perform here? And Richmond's a decent racetrack form. Talladega's of a crapshoot, of course. But when we get into the middle part of this year, and we start really rounding off these races at different racetracks, and and again, you know, I, I know Philip thinks this, I know Spencer thinks this, and I do too. Larson's a great race car driver. I just feel like if they're 
you know, still where they are in points. So maybe some scratching the head a little bit and going, okay, there's got to be something going on with that team. We got to make a change. So um, we'll see. We know it's not the driver. We know it's not the equipment. Whether it's bad luck, uh, I think things are about, to, you know, we're going to find that out here in the next three or four weeks. And, and if Larson can't turn it around here, those whispers are going to turn into loud shouts about Chad Johnson. Just want to give a quick uh, 22-25 here real quick. Nobody that really stands out. I mean, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., uh, uh, below, nobody really stands out below that. A couple of drivers, actually. Uh, Daniel Hemrick, another tough day for him. He spun. Uh, I think somebody got into him, but he spun and finished 30th. His rookie year, and as Can't good see. as Daniel Hemrick's been, uh, as good as Ricky Stenhouse or Daniel Hemrick is, and, and a lot of people talk about him running for rookie of the year, he's had a miserable start to this season. A lot of bad luck to that for him. He finished 30th today. Stenhouse finished 33rd, a tough race for him. But 20, 21st through 30th was David Reagan in 21st. Uh, Chris Busher 22nd. Alex Bowman 23rd. He had some issues. Eric Jones had early issues. He finished 24th. Then it was Ryan Priest, Landon Castle, Matt Tift, Michael McDowell, Ross Chastain, and like I said, Daniel Hemrick in 30th. Um, you know, it, it is kind of crazy to look at, I think, when you looked at what Hemrick's done this year and what a lot of people thought, oh, well, this kid, you know, he can win races. He's got a, he's got a, a boatload of talent in the Xfinity series. And you scratch your head and you go, what is going on with that eight car this year? He's had, a, he's had terrible, terrible luck. Every time you look around, it's, you turn around or in the wall, and it's usually not his fault. It's somebody else's mess that has caused that. But uh, this, this is a kid who... A lot of people thought, well, he's going to come into this rookie year, really give that eight-car run, and it's been not very good. He's 29th in the standings right now, and, uh, you know, I guess we're just sort of waiting to see if he can stop the bleeding on his season because it's really been a tough year uh, for Jordan Hemrick there this year. His best finish is 18th. He finished 18th at Phoenix. He's only got one of the top 20 on the year the rest of the way. Other than that, he's had some really tough races, especially the last four have been real tough for him. Uh, anybody else, anything else that stands out to you about the finishing order today, Philip Matthew, here at Bristol? Yeah, I mean, Hamrick is just, I mean, the luck he's had has been beyond brutal. It's just unbelievable to have the kind of luck he had. I mean, Ross Chastain ran right through him. And that caused the one wreck. I, he was involved in the early, the three, lap three wreck as well. So, I mean, he's had brutal luck all year. Uh, I figure eventually it's got to turn because he's got too much talent. And he's going to a track in Richmond next week where he made his cup debut this time last year. So hopefully this will be the time for him and for his team. When you consider that the other three, RCR-affiliated cars all finished in the top 20 in Ty Dillon got a stage, so stage wins. So in his first stage points of the year, actually, um, was that stage win, which is pretty interesting. I mean, Eric, the it to me, Eric Almarola taking a jack out of his pit stall and then going behind the wall, and then they said he couldn't work on his car. I, I find some of the rules they have for, like, oh, you're on the crash clock or you're on the fight. Like, you know, at the end of the day, you're over, you're over, you know, like there's that's part of that too many rules comment that Brad made uh, earlier and frustration. The reality is Eric Almirola should have been able to repair his car and go back out on the racetrack. If you're going to allow that 77 car to be out there and get lapped every 
whatever, 30 laps or whatever it was on average that he was getting lapped when he was running like a, like a, a couple of miles an hour slower than the leaders. You could have let Eric Almirola repair his car and it wouldn't have hurt anybody. I find it to be stupid. And uh, and it's bad for him, but in the end, when you consider that Eric Almirola is still ninth in points and he has two DNFs, it shows how good it, how good he's been this year. He has six top tens and one top five. So even with the two DNFs, um, so I mean he'll be fine. Figure because of how consistent he is when he gets to run. Uh, that's the one thing. Stenhouse is one of his best racetracks, and he had no chance. Uh, he had a brutal yeah. Brutal that they're running into the, the getting Arca braked by Corey LaJoy and uh, that ended him up. And I mean, there's old comments about Corey LaJoy, but the fact that Ricky Stenhouse, one of his best racetracks, didn't even have a chance to even make anything happen was pretty bad for him. Uh, yeah, I mean, Priest got wrecked in that lap three rack, and I had high hopes for him as a guy who's great short track racer and it didn't come off. It was a, what could have been a really good day for JTG Gordy ended up coming back with uh, mm-hmm. snake eyes. So it was pretty bad for them, unfortunately. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because you a priest. He's had, he's had a great luck either this year. So both of our rookies yeah. who are very talented have had real rotten luck uh, so far here in the 2019 season. Uh, Spencer, what did you think of the racing today at Bristol? I mean, listen, I, I'll be honest with you. From watching the Xfinity Series yesterday, I thought this race was going to be sort of a, a race where nobody went anywhere because I thought the Xfinity Series race was sort of like that, where um, you know it was, a, it was a race dominated by track position. And I'm not going to say it was the greatest race I've ever seen at Bristol Motor Speedway, but I think it was a pretty, pretty good race. I thought there was a lot of movement throughout the field. You could pass. You had a good car. You can certainly go to the bottom if you worked on the bottom. Uh, you know, and, and we see cars and teams um, ha- hit where their cars handle both on the bottom and the top of the racetrack. So that made it a little bit more competitive to me than the Xfinity Series race. So I was not optimistic going into the race and turned out to be p- slightly uh, surprised that that the, v- the VHP or whatever you want to call it, the G- PJ1, the sticky stuff, whatever you want to call it, on the bottom of the racetrack seemed to really work. Uh, and give the bottom lane a little bit more com- com- competitiveness there, and uh, it sort of made both lanes work. Um, what did you think of the racing today at Bristol Motor Speedway today, Spencer? Yeah, I didn't think it was too bad. You know, it's definitely not the most boring race we've seen. You know, I think every time we go to Bristol, it's obviously a fun weekend, you know, along with Martinsville being in the short tracks. And, and who doesn't like short track? But, yeah, I feel like if you had a good car, you could definitely make moves and pass. Um you know, my driver wasn't, unfortunately, not able to do that much today, but that's side the point. And, uh, you know, uh, it would have been better if the 18 car wouldn't have won. But uh, other than that, yeah, the racing was, you know, the sticky stuff, I think, held up good on the bottom. Um, you know, uh, a lot of you know, a lot of drivers said it changed. Their cars uh, fell off a little bit, and they just really couldn't uh, run once the rubber got put down. So, if you had a good car, like you said, I definitely think you could move and uh, work your way to the front. Um, but, uh, yeah, another wild start to Bristol. You know, we've seen Bush wreck on lap one at another race at Bristol, um, So, and that didn't stop him. So a uh, good run by him today, another win to his resume or whatever you want to call it, and uh, on to Richmond. Yeah, for sure. And, Spent, uh, Philip Matthew, what do you think? I know you 
talked about the difference between what we saw with this new package this year and what we saw last year. Did you like this today's race a little bit better? Did you like last year's race better? I'm just curious on where you thought as well with the, with this package, with this new package that we see here in 2019 with Bristol Motor Speedway. I, and did you like what we saw today, or, or would you rather go back to what we saw uh, last year and the years before? I mean, I think the whole when they're talking about clean air at a half-mile racetrack is kind of disturbing. But what what the big equalizer is, which always is the case no matter how many stupid rules packages they come up with, is the is the lap cars. And the fact that because of it being a two-lane racetrack now, not being just a single lane right on the bottom, slam the crap out of you, that's the only way you can pass. There's You get runs and you have to make a pass. Like, you actually have to race. In the end, I, in that sense, I don't mind it. I, I, I don't get how arrow and having to have clean air at a short track should be a thing. It really shouldn't be a thing. Uh, but... You know, that's NASCAR for you. They'll figure out a way to ruin a good thing no matter what you do. So in that sense, it's whatever. I and To me, I'm one of the few that probably likes the Bristol when they initially reconfigured it and it had all three grooves working and they had people three wide and you're actually able to race uh, before they started going and adding PJ1 everywhere and, you know, making the one line work and this thing and that thing, you know, like it, and the fact that Badger can't make a tire that wears out or anything like that. Um, you know, that's the, the racing is what it is and you get used to it. And compared to watching a cookie cutter race, this is better. So I'll take it. Uh, the yeah. results, whatever, but you know, if, if my choice is having this or a cookie cutter, I'll take the Bristol race. It's fine. Yeah, me too. I'm with you. I thought it was I thought it was pretty good today. I'm not gonna lie. You know, like I said, it wasn't uh, a race that we're gonna look back and go, "Oh my gosh, remember that one?" But it was solid. I, I think certainly it was solid today at Bristol Motor Speedway. Another race, guys, that that happened over the weekend was an NASCAR Xfinity Series race, and Hallelujah, Kyle Busch couldn't have been a part of it uh, because it was a Dash for Cash event that ended up with Christopher Bell uh, as the winner. Tyler Reddick finished second. Then it was Cole Custer. Chase Briscoe and John Hunter Nemechek rounded out the top five. But the real story of the day, the dominant car of the, of the day was Justin Allgaier, who led 138 laps before uh, crashing on lap 227, had what looked like brake issues. Um, that took him out of the event. And, and motor issues at, at the same time. I mean, that's twice now we've seen a motor issue on that seven car this year. Uh, so a very interesting race from that standpoint that, you know, we kind of, I think all of us, we're sitting there going, okay, well, who kind of, you know, takes this this series by the horns here a little bit? Now that Kyle Busch can't run in it, who are we really going to see win races and, and really be a strong contender for championships? Well, guess what? We had four guys this week. Old guy who led the lap, probably had the best car, led the most laps before he had an issue. We had Christopher Bell who ended up winning the race. Tyler Reddick had a really fast car. And should have won stage one, but a little bit of a communication issue with his spotter uh, put him in the back, put, put him in second, and, and they lost the first stage. And then you have Cole Custer, who finished in the third spot, led some 25 laps. So he he was pretty good. So um, I think those four guys have really sort of sat there and said they're going to separate themselves from the rest here 
and everybody else is going to be surprised for this championship. Um, Philip Matthew, what did you think of the Xfinity Series race on Saturday when you look at the results and, and uh, from what you saw there on Saturday at Bristol Motor Speedway? I mean, I definitely enjoyed the fact that we actually got to see the regulars, you know, show themselves and actually get coverage because I swear that the network that covers the sport the first half of the year only wants to watch the leader and they only want to watch a certain driver that usually drives the 18 car or the 51. Uh, So the fact that we got to see, hear stories about some of these guys that are on that back end of the playoff, but on that bubble or hearing about the regulars, it was actually nice. And reality is all guy are finally for the first time this year had something going and he was going to win this race. And then, you know, it all went to, it all went to heck. And unfortunately it's bad for him in the sense that he could have won this or he should have won this race probably, but it isn't bad in the sense that, you know, he's had, he's led in terms of laps led. He's the third most laps led this year. And that was all yesterday, of course, but uh, he has three top 10 finishes and two top fives, and even with all of that, he's still sixth in points. I mean, granted, he's 90 points behind Tyler Reddick, but it's not really going to be an issue about pointing in, I don't think, for him. I figure he's going to win a race. But the reality is we found out who who's really going to be the cars, cars to win this deal. One of these four cars should theoretically win this championship, whether it's the two of Reddick, the seven of Allgaier, double zero of Cole Custer, and Chris Bell. Uh, his, his, the, we've all talked about Chris Bell on the show, the future. That came up this, this past weekend. So it was interesting that he goes out there and goes and wins uh, his second race of the season. Um, the reality is he probably should have been in a cup car this year, but, you know, whatever, they didn't. Reverend Gibbs saw fit not that he shouldn't be in a cup car this year. Um, there's other stuff going on with JGR that's saying that he may not be in a JGR car. So, mm. But the fact is Christopher Bell still is a real deal, and uh, he took he was able to pick up the pieces when Justin Allgaier wasn't able to come through. He had a loose race car early in the race, and he was having a hard time staying up there. And by the end of it, he had a car that was working, and he was able to finish the job. So, I mean, you got to give credit to Chris Bell there. And, uh, I mean, it's it's true. Those are the four cars right now. Um, There's some other people that were up there in the top five and the top ten that may have a chance in time. But, um, right. yeah, those are the four that really stand out that are going to be the cars to beat. I'll give you the rest of the top ten here before we get Spencer's opinion on this race. Uh, sixth was Austin Sindrick. Justin Haley finished seventh. Eighth was Michael Onet. Noah Gregson ended up ninth. And Harrison Burton in his Xfinity Series debut hit the wall twice in his Xfinity Series debut, but ended up finishing in the tenth spot for Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, so not a terrible day for that youngster there. Uh, got, I'm sure, a lot of experience by bouncing off the wall twice and learned a lot uh, and ended up in the tenth spot in Dex Imaging Toyota Ford JGR. Uh, a driver, Spencer, I was really impressed with was Chase Briscoe. Was in the top five most of the day. Um, 
ended up fourth. I thought he ran good. John Hunter Nemechek uh, wasn't as good as as, uh, as Chase Briscoe was for most of the day, but um, he ended up finishing in the fifth spot. Anybody else stand out to you, Spencer, from the Xfinity Series race where you look at it and say, um, you know, good run or, or bad run or somebody else that stand out for you? I mean, uh, we're going to talk about the points in a little bit, but Chastain had a tough day at Bristol for sure. Yeah, bummer. Um, yeah, uh, I would say, you know, I know he's in good equipment and all, but it is his first start. Harrison Burton, you know, with the 10th place finish. Um, he started fifth, so he uh, went down a little bit. But, you know, for his first Xfinity race on a short track, it takes a lot out of you. You know, I feel like that's a pretty good uh, – you know, I'm sure he was hoping to win, but I, I would take a 10th place finish all day if I knew it was my first Xfinity start at a short track. Um, and there's a lot of talent in the Xfinity series, as we all mentioned throughout these shows. And um, so, yeah, he's won. And then uh, I'll go ahead and touch on one right outside top 10. I think Ryan Seek had another great, uh, great outing in 12th place with that family ran operation. So, uh, you know, he's uh, having a hell of a year so far, that's for sure. But uh, Harrison Burton is the only one. And, um, and I guess I'll just touch on the uh, JRM cars. I don't, to me, and I know you guys have mentioned too, they're all, they're just off a little bit this year besides the Algaier. Um, Noah Gregson hasn't really been up threatening for wins. Um, you know, Michael Annette, he hasn't really been up in that top five threatening for wins. You know, I know that eight car has a lot of young talent uh, getting into it, but uh, I just feel like they could run a little bit better. Uh, I know Elliot Sadler's gone. He was a veteran, but for that team and who they are, I feel like they should be running up front a little bit better. But that's pretty much it for the top ten for me. Yeah, and let me say this about JRM quick, and I don't mean to, to bash on somebody, kick them while they're down, but they got to figure out what's going on with these engines with Allgaier because you can't go out there. Uh, an organization like that should they shouldn't have two blown engines early in this event. And I know it's, they don't get their engines exactly; they don't build them in house at Junior Motorsports, but and they get them from Hendrick Motorsports. But they got to figure out what's going on with those Xfinity Series cars because that's twice now where Allgaier's had a really strong car. He should have went out there and dominated. And, and been locked into this play, these playoffs and said, you know what, we're here, we can build on this, ha. And all of a sudden, you know, they had some, a couple of engine, engine issues come up. And remember about him last year. In the middle of the year last year, Allgaier looked like the driver to beat for the playoff, for the championship. And then they faded late. Um, and he ended up okay. I, you know, he had a good year, but they weren't nearly as strong the last 12, 15 races as they were in the beginning of the year. So, um want to see something from junior motorsports here and that one daytona and he's living off that he's 50 points right now he's had a decent start to the year but you know you got to see more from junior motorsports you're absolutely right spencer uh if you're a fan of that team but you know something else that happened philip and we talked about this a lot as far as the xfinity series is concerned is a tough day for ross chastain uh chastain got in a wreck with jeff green uh, i really couldn't see what happened on the tv there um from where we were but it looked like there was an incident whether Green got loose or, or Chastain got loose, one of the two, but it it took Chastain out uh, on lap 41. He ended up in a 33rd position there in that four car. And we've discussed at length this year how JD Motorsports and that team has not had the speed they once had a year ago, and they're sort of it's a work in progress for that team. Well, right now Chastain sits uh, 40 points behind Justin Haley for 12th in the standings. And, you know, we know he's got a, a race coming up, a couple of races coming up in that 10 car where he can win and gain some significant points on these guys. But, 
you know, he's going to have to start running a little bit better here and um, figuring it out here with this four car, you know, and, and it was terrible luck at Bristol on Sunday, but, you know, when you're not running where you should be or, you know, not making top 10 finishes like he was a year ago and you're running 15th on back like he has been this year, you know, these 33rd place finishes, they, they look worse because of where you've been the last few weeks where, you know, if you finish in the top 10 a couple of times, you don't take as big of a point hit because you go, well, we've had a pretty good year. We'll live with it. Well, they haven't had, had a great year this year, and an accident sort of digs them into a deeper hole here, being 40 points back. Are you at all concerned about Chastain, who I think is an extremely talented driver? You know, we talked a little earlier about his the deal with DC Solar falling apart there with Chip Ganassi Racing. Um, unfortunately, you know, he's not running that car, and a guy I think a lot of people had sort of competing for the championship before this year starts. Are you at all concerned about where Chastain is right now, Philip Matthew? Yeah, I mean, definitely it's a problem. I mean, him and Shiplett had gotten on to a pretty good uh, relationship. They won at Vegas, and it was looking pretty good for them, and then it all went away. And the D, the JD Motorsports team does a lot of the little, but I don't know what happened over the off season. Maybe they just didn't assume that Chastain was going to come back. Maybe some sponsorships didn't come through. Uh, they were, I guess they had some different plans, but they have not performed anywhere near as good as they did last year. I remember at least two of their cars being at least decent at times, both the four. The four was more up there, and then you had another car that would be up there around the top 20 every single week, and now they can't even do that. And so it's... It's not good, and I mean Jeff Green came out, and I think he had a brake line loose or water, some uh, something got loose and got got fluid on his tire. He got, which caused him to go off and hit Chastain. Chastain was a victim of cir- circumstances. The fact that Jeff Green isn't parking in a race is amazing to me because that's basically what he is now. But he has a problem that unless he wins and unless he gets a ride in some other car randomly or he doesn't win in those in a, in a race that he has with that second uh, college car, which is Talladega, which is coming up in a few weeks or something. I don't know what his other races are. I think the other races during the playoffs. So if he doesn't win Talladega in a few weeks, I have a hard time believing that he's going to be in the playoffs because that's such a big gap to Justin Haley. Yeah. And Haley's got five – five top tens already this year. It's not a fact that he's doing anything amazing, but the fact of the matter is he's getting top tens. And, I mean, Ryan Sieg got a top five and a stage win already, and they, they've been that team. Basically, they swapped um, in terms right. of what kind of doing a lot of the little. So it's going to be a problem for them uh, unless he wins in a couple of weeks for them to make the playoffs. Yeah, it is. It, and, again, it's just it's crazy because I think a lot of people when you – season started in January when we were putting our championships together. I think a lot of people thought maybe Chastain would be on that list, and then the 42 fell apart. And, you know, we'll see how it goes. But, yeah, he's somebody to keep an eye on. That whole battle is somebody to keep an eye on. But right now it's 13 drivers for four, for 12 spots. I don't think anybody else has a chance of winning a race or pointing their way into the playoffs in the Xfinity Series. I want to thank Philip Matthew and, and Spencer Cowan again. Great job tonight, tonight as always, guys. And I want to thank you all for listening to Talking Circles. Like us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, and we'll see you next time here on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody.